You're listening to a Red Bull podcast. It's a stinking hot night in Sydney's inner west. It's Fahrenheit here. I'm at the Imperial Hotel in Erskineville in Sydney. I'm outside the building. It's a beautiful sunny day in Sydney. It's actually really quite hot and I'm in drag and why am I doing this to myself? Fahrenheit is one of the drag queens here at the Imperial, getting ready for the Sunday night show. So basically to get ready for drag, I have to shave as you do, because if you wouldn't realise it, I'm actually a man. Um, shave, foundation, powder, set the whole shebang getting ready. It takes me from shaving to getting in full face, probably about an hour and a half, two hours. There's a glorious history of drag at the Imperial. The opening and closing scenes from Priscilla, Queen of the Desert were filmed here in the mid-90s, and for years, Farron performed in the Priscilla show that followed. If these walls could talk, well, they'd have quite a few novels to tell, because this has had very many people, very many drag queens, very many not-so-sober people come in and out of this venue. And yeah, it's got a very, I would say, sordid, colourful, creative past, would be a good way to say it. I'm Al Grigg, and this is Red Bull's If These Walls Could Talk, a podcast about the venues, parties, and people that have shaped Sydney's nightlife. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the country on which we record and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This season we're focusing on the LGBTQI party scene and the pub I'm visiting in this episode is an iconic part of that scene. The Imperial Hotel in Erskineville is one of the few gay bars remaining from the early 80s. It's seen ownership changes, facelifts, and shifts across the scene. And it continues to play an important role in the LGBTQI party scene today. Of all the drag queens who perform at the Impy, Fahrenheit has been here the longest. With two generations of drag children beneath her, she's been part of Sydney's drag scene for decades. If these walls could talk, they'd have a lot of stories about Farron. But the next best thing is Farron's own stories. And boy, has she seen it all. I know that there's been a few different variations of the Imperial Hotel over its time, from back in the old days before it was a gay and lesbian venue, to now we've had Dawn O'Donnell, who was the, the owner of it back in the day. And then we had Shad Denisi. Now we've got Sydney Collected that own it. And it's had three different kind of lifestyles to it. She's just the old girl you can't keep down, basically. Erskineville is a tiny suburb tucked in behind Newtown's King Street. When Farron started performing here in the late 90s, the area was pretty different. Newtown was a bit more alternative back then. There were a lot less houses around because there was a few greenery spaces before I'm looking over the other side of the street. The hotel itself was a little bit more, I, I don't want to say rundown, but it had its day kind of thing. But everyone used to love coming here and having some fun. To now though, it's a lot more eccentric. There's a lot more creativity around. Uh, Newtown's become like one of those hip and happening parts of Sydney. Everyone who's everyone, like the artsy kind of crowd come around here, and especially here at the Imperial. Uh, it's been one of the, the longest gay and lesbian running hotels in Sydney, as far as I'm aware. And it's gonna get noisy now, because we're on the street. We're coming through to one of the main entrances here. And we've got our lovely Omar outside. Everyone say hi. Growing up in Ballina in northern New South Wales, Farron dreamt about gay-focused spaces and venues. Even before she moved to Sydney, Oxford Street's gay party scene was on her radar. 
There was um, a magazine called Outrage, which is no longer around, so I, I secretly subscribed to that. Um, and I could see some of the venues there, so I just sort of got to the point, I was like, I want to move to Sydney and just upped them within six months of moved to Sydney. Not too long after arriving in the city, she was at a friend's party with her boyfriend when the two of them decided to give drag a go. That night, Fahrenheit was born. I had a little brown kind of wig I got from a, like a base warehouse or something, one of those kind of things, like it was a brown cheap bob. Probably cost me about 25 bucks at the time. <laughs> uh, I'd made a little dress out of this um, red and green kind of tartan outfit and then I had a big red bow on it. Did my own makeup and uh, yeah, no, it wasn't. Well, I look back now and I'm like, whoa, rough, very rough. And I did Whitney Houston's I'm Every Woman. Everyone at the party loved their act, so they decided to take it to the Aubrey Hotel. We ended up going there on a Sunday afternoon and they had a thing called Polly's Follies. And I knew some of the Polly's girls, so we got up and did a few numbers there. And it was one of those things where Polly just said, oh, you weren't too bad, keep coming back if you want to. So I just did and that's how it started. By this point, it was the early 90s. The movie Priscilla, Queen of the Desert was yet to be released and no one back home in Ballina really understood what Farron was doing down in Sydney. Drag was still relatively underground, with the scene in Sydney mostly found in The Cross, Oxford Street and Newtown. Farron had been sticking to Oxford Street, but she was curious about what was happening over in the inner west. Drag has always been you've got to watch the crowd, you've got to read the crowd as well too. I found out very quickly that the Newtown inner west crowd was completely different to the Oxford Street crowd. The Newtown scene was a bit rougher, a bit more punk. There were numbers that you could do on Oxford Street that wouldn't really work out at the Imperial, and there were numbers that you could do at the Imperial that wouldn't really translate to the Oxford Street crowd because they were two different crowds. Farron was drawn to this new style. The main number was they were doing like a Phantom of the Opera number, so it was more theatrical. Yeah. I mean, they had props, they had setting, they had lighting, all that kind of stuff, and then they had like a, a massive window pane made out of cellophane that one of the drag queens would appear behind and then disappear. I sort of went out there just and went, wow, this is a really crazy night. I was just blown away by it. So it was just a different style of drag to what I was used to seeing. At that time, the reigning matriarch of the Imperial was Mitzi McIntosh. Mitzi McIntosh would do some really kooky left of centre numbers and they'd go absolutely nuts for it. For me, Mitzi has just been one of those drag queens where I'm just astounded by what comes out of that drag queen's brain. And even though she's still not here, is will always be the, the major art because she was just the, the driving force of the Imperial Hotel, of the shows, of the drag and everything there. In the mid-1990s, a spot opened up at the Imperial and Mitzi and another Imperial drag queen, Barbara Bubble, started turning up at the Aubrey to watch Farron perform. They kept turning up to my shoulders and I'm like, well, what's going on? And I'd heard, but I, they hadn't said anything. Finally, Farron got the call from Barbara Bubble. And then she actually called me and she said, oh, what are you doing on Fridays and Saturday nights? And I went, oh, nothing at the moment. She went, no, let me rephrase that. On Fridays and Saturday nights, what are you going to be doing? And I clicked and I went, oh, am I working at the Imperial? And she went, yes, you are. You start in two weeks' time. So, and it went from there. Back then, the Imperial was a dark, grungy hotel, the polar opposite to the more glamorous, flashy pop of Oxford Street. You'd come in the front door and to the right would be the main bar and basically the carpet was, I don't want to tell you about the carpet. There were a few dodgy pool tables, there was the bar there, there were some poker machines in the back corner. Then you would go down the hallway, which is quite dark kind of thing, into the cabaret room, which was just pitch black without the lights on. And you'd have the stage, which was basically, our running joke was it was held up by milk crates. It wasn't. Um, we did find two milk crates under there though, but it was like, yeah, like it, at one point there were holes getting made by our stiletto, so we had to resurface it. Um, it was a pretty dark cabaret room, but it was like everyone would come in and sit and drink and have some fun. If you were going down into the, the basement, as they were called it, um, it was just basically a concrete jungle. That it was just like 
concrete downstairs, <laughs> pillars, there was a dance floor down there. And yeah, some of the things that used to happen down there, we won't talk about on national podcasting. Um, but it was, it was basically, if you were still going from upstairs, you would go downstairs and then you'd literally walk up as they'd kick you out in the morning and the sun would be shining kind of thing. It was a bit more dark, it was a bit debauched kind of thing, but we had so much fun there. It was a good time, you know, everyone just would come along and if it was two o'clock in the morning, you'd fall out of another venue, you'd end up at the Imperial kind of thing. The Imperial's owner, Don O'Donnell, was one of the few Sydney business people to open gay establishments well before it was legally and socially acceptable to be gay. In the 60s, she ran a gay wine bar off Broadway, a lesbian bathhouse above a cake shop in Bondi Junction, and Oxford Street's gay nightclub Capriccio's, famous for its drag shows. She certainly was larger than live. Rough as hell, but her, you know, her girls were her girls kind of thing. She looked after them kind of thing. Dawn was a legend in the Sydney bar and club scene throughout the 70s and 80s. She was known by many as the godmother of Sydney's Golden Mile. She created safe spaces for the gay and lesbian community to come together and often posted bail for gay men in police custody. Yep, homosexuality was a criminal offence in New South Wales until 1984. But Dawn was also known as a ruthless business owner, with many saying they'd never want to cross her. There were rumours of boxes full of cash to keep the authorities on side at a time when gay venues were heavily targeted by the police. There were rumours that we heard, but they were all just like rumours kind of thing. It just added to the, the mystique that was Dawn mm. because she did keep to herself a lot. In the 80s, Dawn turned her attention from the eastern suburbs to the inner west, buying the Imperial as well as the Newtown Hotel. By the time Farron joined the Imperial family in the late 90s, Dawn was already in her 70s. We didn't get to see her a lot of the times because she, she would just like sit back and as long as the hotel was making money and everyone was looked after, everyone was fine, that was good. The times we did see her, you know, she'd sort of come into the hotel during the day for rehearsing and she'd be like, yeah, like you'd said, I, I, I always said she would look like an angry young old man kind of thing because she was this short little like grey haired woman kind of thing. But she was always good to us. Um, we, you know, if we ever needed anything like or, you know, we wanted part of the stage extended or built, she would do it on the cheap, but it would get done kind of thing. For me personally, I only saw her a couple of times, but she always made sure she'd come up and she knew who you were. And she's like, you know, how you going, Farron? Do you need anything? How's, how's everyone treating you? What's going on kind of thing? And it's those kind of things that add to like the gay and lesbian history that mm. add to like the, the characters of like the Imperial you had me working there for like 12, 14 years of my mm. life, so yeah. Farron found her community and a space where she could be herself. It did help me pluck up the courage to go back home to say to my mum and dad, I'm out, I'm gay, I'm leaving. And like for them, you hear bad stories about things like that, but my parents were totally cool with it. And then when I was doing drag and my mum come down to see the shows, we were doing the Priscilla show, she came and saw the shows and she was just blown away by it. And she came backstage and she, was, she thanked the other queens and she was just like, it's nice to see my son doing something that he loves and to be accepted within the community that likes him back. And, I think for some queens, if you didn't have queens, you know, for gay, lesbian, bi, trans, queer, non-binary, intersex, whatever you are on the alphabet rainbow, as I call it, um, if we didn't have these spaces, I think for a lot of people it would be a lot harder to integrate into the general society. But I, and I think it's great to have places where we can go and express ourselves and be who we want to be. In the mid-90s, the film Priscilla, Queen of the Desert shone a spotlight on Sydney's gay nightlife, putting places like Oxford Street and the Imperial on the world map. The film opens and closes in the Imperial's front bar. 
So when you come into the venue, you come down into a corridor and to the right-hand side is the main bar, what we call the main bar now. That is where, if you remember Priscilla, the movie, everyone should know that movie, uh, where they filmed Never Been To Me, the opening scene, we were in the bar. That's the bar they performed it in. And the spot on the bar where Hugo Weaving stands, this is where we are standing right now. Um, we're just standing there having a look through the bar. The bar's really now open. It's not as dark as it used to be. We've gone back to the original 19, I think it's 1940s Art Deco style on the roof. There's a big mural up there as well too. The bar has gotten bigger and it's just become more of an open space which looks through to Priscilla's restaurant. And yeah, it's just a great open space for everyone to enjoy. One of my favourite spots is the backstage in our dressing room. Uh, people are getting ready out there so it's going to be noisy so you could get an idea of that's where all the drag queens hang out. Um, it's just nice to chill out there and, and catch up with my castmates who I'm working with tonight which is Ruby Slippers and our fabulous DJ James. Um, but I also love my other spot is on the bar top. Uh, that's where we do our numbers. It's basically where I said earlier with Hugo Weaving where he used to stand and do Never Been To Me. That's my spot on the bar. I like to stand there and do my numbers from up there because I can look at everyone and have a good time kind of thing. And then throw my drink on them if they're not watching so no I don't do that Shh, don't there's mixed feelings about what the movie Priscilla Queen of the Desert did to the Sydney queer scene some people are upset about how crowds of people like tourists changed places like Oxford Street and Sydney's drag scene forever the way I sort of describe Priscilla, it, it had the same effect back then that what RuPaul's Drag Race has done now. It made drag a lot more commercial. Um, it pushed it into the forefront. It wasn't just like back then drag was just in clubs and it was just kept to itself kind of thing. But then when Priscilla came out, we were seeing a lot of people from all walks of life coming out and seeing the show. And it's probably something that you wouldn't have got to see beforehand. Um, the Aubrey Hotel, even then they had a lot of, you know, you get a lot of, you know, gay, lesbian, straight, bi, whoever going to see the show, but the Imperial just had a bit of a different vibe about it. So it was still that Newtown vibe. Mm. But yeah, I certainly noticed a different kind of like people coming out there. And a lot were coming out just to see the Imperial or see the Priscilla show. I certainly am thankful for Priscilla because if there was no Priscilla, there would have been no Priscilla show. I probably wouldn't have been doing what I was doing for the amount of time. So mm. it, it certainly had a catalyst on, on drag and how drag was perceived back then. But it wasn't all Priscilla all the time. The Imperial was still the place for a slightly stranger, more theatrical style of drag. One night in particular from the early 2000s stands out for Farron. She was performing in a Little Britain drag show when they received some pretty exciting news. We were doing a show back then called Lie Back and Think of England. <laughs> so we had six numbers that were all like little Britain characters. Like I did Anne and I did I'm a Lady and Mitzi did Vicky Pollard and she did all the costuming. And Little Britain were touring and they were doing their Little Britain Live Down Under show. And we got word that they'd heard about it. So we ran upstairs and our phones were literally going crazy. They were on their way to the Imperial. Whoa. So David Williams and Matt Lucas came to see the show and they sat up the back and watched the entire show. And we were like... Yeah. Uh, so we went, let's just do this kind of thing. Yeah. And then they come upstairs and we met them and, and they were just saying it's probably one of the best drag versions of Little Britain that they'd seen. Okay. So for me, that's really a definite highlight of working in the period was when that, like, you know, we'd heard that they might be coming in and when they walked through, we were like, whoa, this is crazy. And the whole place went crazy. Okay, now we're going downstairs to the basement of the Imperial Hotel. It was just like a dungeon downstairs. I used to call it the, the cellar kind of thing. Um, and it was just basically dark and everyone used to come down and just be, you would have a great time. It was quite sorted sometimes in some corners, um, if you know what I mean. 
the toilets were just kind of there in the corner, you know, the kind of action that happened. It was just like hot and sweaty. And don't get me wrong, it was all good fun, but it was just dark, it was depraved, it was sexual, you know. It was fun, it was drunk, it was boozy. I can say without going into too much detail, was there, there used to be a bit of a, a, a back room down here um, where put two and two together people, you know what I'm talking about. Um, things used to happen in that back room and I came down in drag one night and shone a torch into said back room and about six guys were all half naked and just went scuttling out into the middle of nowhere. One of my favourite memories from the old Imperial nightclub downstairs was um, where, if you remember down at the bar, there used to be all this exposed piping, which is still around now, but it's higher up. Um, and when the old floor was, you could literally put your hand up and touch the ceiling. There was a couple of pipes that went above the bar. Um, and one night, some guy decided he would hang up on it and, and try and do pull-ups, is that what they call, and snapped the pipe. And the pipe was actually had water in it. And they put a big tub on the end of the bar and the water started filling up, but it wasn't exactly water, so to speak. It was from one of the toilets upstairs, we believe, or from the sewerage outlet upstairs. Um, it didn't smell too good. Um, and there was a gentleman that came along that was really quite drunk that decided to put his hands into it and splash his face with the water. And we were laughing hysterically because we couldn't believe he'd just done that. And then he came back to the bar and asked the barman why his face felt funny and why he smelled funny. And we were just on the floor laughing because he just didn't understand it. So, yes. But it, yeah, there's been quite a good, quite a good night stand here. Having, having a few drinks and having fun with friends in the old style and in the new style as well too, so yeah. In 2007, Dawn O'Donnell died, marking the end of an era for Sydney's LGBTQI nightlife. There's no real line in the sand for when things started to change, and some would say the scene had already changed, with Priscilla in the 90s or the closure of the Aubrey in 2001. The Imperial lived a few lives in the mid-2000s through multiple owners with different visions, opening and closing for renovations a few times before the council shut it down. Then in 2015, it was bought by the Sydney Collective and Farron got a call. So when the Sydney Collective bought it a few years back, they closed it down to, again, <laughs> to, to renovate it kind of thing. And the driving force behind it is a gentleman called Fraser who basically runs Sydney Collective. And he asked us to, like, they had a meeting come up and there was a guy called Kieran who was looking after sort of the entertainment and helping run the hotel as well to getting it off the ground. He asked me to actually sit in on a few meetings and they had like design meetings and, and I actually got to sit down and I was like, why am I here? And Fraser said, because you were the one that we know that is still in Australia from the old days, we want your input, we want to keep that whole Priscilla vibe, we want you to let us know what you think we can do. And they were putting out like uh, design ideas and doing this and this and this. And I felt really like a bit intimidated at first because I'm like, I'm just a drag queen. I'm not like a d in design interior or anything like that. And they said, show wise, what do you think we need to do for the venue? This is this. So I actually gave them my feedback. And then when we reopened, Kieran said, what do you want to do? And I said, I'd love to do like a Friday night, late night thing. And I'd love to do Sundays. And he went, sure, done. The outside is still the same as the original because I think it is heritage listed, I suppose, so they probably can't do much with the outside. So you still recognise it as the Imperial. But for the like, older generation that used to go beforehand, if they came back in now, and I've still got friends that you know come back in and go, whoa, what have they done? Like, loving it, yeah. but it's, not, it's nothing like what it used to be like. The hotel was completely remodelled inside. The new Imperial has obvious tributes to the history of the place in Priscilla's bar and more subtle ones like the statue of a woman holding orbs of light which was relocated to the upstairs bar. 
it's been modernised, but it's still got that whole theatrical feel about it. The original architraves from the old hotel have been brought back out and they've been painted. You've got where the cabaret bar now is a fantastic restaurant called Priscilla's, which is amazing food, very vegetarian and vegan. And you go upstairs, which was dead space, and it's now Imperial Up. You've got a great bar at the end. There's seating. There's an outdoor area. Um, it's just amazing what they've done. So it's had it. Had a, it's had its facelifts over the years. Yeah. Um, and it's just great. But yeah, the old Imperial was a bit, bit more grungy. There is one part of the building that can't be brought into the 2020s though. His name's Fred and you won't catch him in drag. So back in the day, I, I, I when I started working here, I was like, stupid things used to happen. And I was like, what's going on? You know, weird things were going on. Um, and one of the drag queens told me about a ghost that apparently frequents, and I have seen him several times, a ghost called Fred. The story that I was told was that back in the day when the hotel was fir first built, there was a boiler explosion, I think it was, or an oven explosion, and he was killed. That's what I was told. Um, so whether that's a myth or a legend, I don't know. And I have seen him around. He does frequent the venue quite a lot. When I used to work here many, many years ago, back in the Priscilla days, I'd be getting ready here early because I always got ready here first and he would play tricks on me, turn the lights on and off or run up and down the corridor. Uh, and then we'd be on stage, uh, the old stage, and you could see him on the corners, like looking at you and waving. And then one night I just told him to stop being stupid and he doesn't really do anything to me now. But I've told the story a few times to some of the young queens here and now they've gone, oh my God, we've seen Fred or Fred's been playing up again. So it's that kind of urban legend. When the Sydney Collective reopened the Imperial, the drag queens put on a massive Priscilla show in celebration. And guess who was there in the wings? Fred. He was standing near the ceviche bar watching the show and no one else saw him, but I did. It's almost time for Lip Sync Heroes and Farron heads backstage. Uh, we've got a wall full of mirrors here backstage where the lights half work, which is just beautiful. It's the lighting just right to give a drag queen a natural glow. No five o'clock shadows here. Then there's just dirty brushes and, you know, wig caps on the floor and JD under the table awaiting the next visitor. It's great. This is Ruby Slippers and she's all dressed up in a ball gown and blonde curls. This is my lovely drag daughter herself and my co-host, cohort and partner in crime across Sundays, Miss Ruby Slippers. Say hello. Hi, everyone. Ruby, Farron and their DJ James are back here getting ready to perform. So this is actually next door to the venue that we have just started renovating as our backstage space. Uh, purely, it is a dresser, mirrors, you know, your usual backstage get ready green room. Tonight, people who have never done drag will get up and give it a go, along with some regulars keen to belt out a tune. There's a $2,000 cash prize on offer, which entices all sorts of people in and out of drag to give lip syncing a shot. For me, the Imperial has always been an inclusive space. Uh, I've always said from day one that no matter who you are, what you are, which side of the fence you are, left, right, up, down. It's always a space where you can come and be yourself and be who you want to be. You leave your attitude at the door and just come in and have a great time. And for me, that's what I love. Um, and I love the fact that they can still employ me and they still let me jump around like an idiot on stage. Um, but I, I love the, the queens that I work with. I love our DJ, he's, he's all right. He does play music and stuff like that. But yeah, it's just the, the, the family vibe we have here, don't you dare. Um, the family vibe we have here is really good and that's what it is. We're like a little family here and that's what I really love about the Imperial. Farron has seen drag and the hotel change a lot over the last 20 years. For me, drag, and especially now with RuPaul's Drag Race, opening the doors for this kind of community and for this, this kind of 
era and generation and things like that. And then just seeing younger queens where you've got non-binary, where you've got trans doing drag, when you've got what they call bio queens, which are, you know, like women doing drag and things like that. I think drag is, is subjective in a way where anyone can do it and there is no right or wrong way to do drag. At the helm of the Imperials entertainment programming is Oliver Levi Maloof, who performs in drag as etc. etc. They're careful to make the hotel's parties and drag performances as inclusive to all LGBTQI plus people as possible. And Farron is really excited about what the future holds. Drag is just one of those things where as long as we can be creative and we can let the younger generation do what they want to do, and I'm just amazed at how creative they are and how the looks they turn out every week and like if you go and you look at like etc's profile some of the looks that they pull out are just incredible and where their creative brains go to pick these ideas and the way they pull them out is amazing so i'm excited to see where drag goes i mean i've got my style of drag but i just like to see what everyone else does as well and i think you need to adapt to the times and changes and the, and people will still go oh i miss the old days it's like yeah they were fun but you can make fun nowadays kind of thing so and we certainly do out at the imperial we make it all new and having a great venue to do it in and the imperial for me is is like my spiritual home it's like my drag home so you know i love it there i'll be burnt and buried with a hotel i reckon Thanks for listening to If These Walls Could Talk. For more nightlife stories from the world of Red Bull, head to redbull.com forward slash nightlife.